You are listening to the Conversational Selling Podcast with Nancy Calabrese. Hi, everyone. It's Nancy Calabrese, and it's time again for Conversational Selling, the podcast where sales leaders and business experts share what is going on in sales and marketing today. And it always starts with the human conversation. This week's guest is Dr. Christopher Croner, principal at SalesDrive, a company dedicated to helping businesses perfect their salesperson hiring process by offering a variety of tools. Dr. Croner developed the proprietary drive test diagnostic system, including the drive interview for salesperson selection. Using this system, he has helped over a thousand companies hire and develop top performing salespeople worldwide. So simply put, Sales Drive helps companies build better sales team by teams by improving their hiring process by using their sales test. Dr. Croner is also co-author of the book, Never Hire a Bad Salesperson Again, detailing his research and practice in identifying the non-teachable personality traits common in top producers. So this is going to be a fascinating discussion, especially for uh, me. And I, I just want to welcome you to the show, Chris. Nancy, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be here and to serve your audience. Thank you. Boy, this is a hot topic, a hot topic for any business owner or organization, we all struggle to hire the right producers. Why is that? You know, I think that in interviewing sales candidates, one of the challenges people have, it's, it's almost twofold. Number one, people don't get training in interviewing period. So yeah. they don't really have an idea of how to do that in an effective structured way, uh, specifically using a well-constructed behavioral interview. People oftentimes sit down with a candidate uh, they want to find out whether the candidate's going to be a good match with the role, whether or not they have a good kind of gut instinct of whether the person is going to perform well. So they sit down with that candidate. They talk about you know the, the how the previous weekend went. They kind of go through a couple of questions. What might you do if this happened? What might you do if that happened? And they hope that that's going to be enough to give them a good gut instinct of how the person is going to perform. They don't use what we call a structured behavioral interview, where they realize the best predictor of future behavior is previous behavior. So asking the candidate about behavior they've engaged in in the past at work that reflects the characteristics that we would like for them to show for us going forward is the way to go. But the second element to it, uh, when we look at the sales side, is salespeople in many cases can be very good at the interview, at the interview process. Companies sometimes right. uh, will sit down with a candidate. The candidate knows uh, typically the right things to say in the interview can come across very, very well in that interview. Uh, but sometimes underneath the surface, they may not really have the intensity that they're portraying, if you will. And so again, the, co the company may, may come to find out that during the interview, the candidate really, really give the, gave them their best sale. Uh, so it's sort yeah. of a combination of two things, you know, not necessarily knowing how to interview and then having a candidate that's uh, possibly overly matched to the interviewer, if you will. So it's all about preparing effectively and knowing how to conduct the interview in a consistent and a, um, an effective ma manner. And I'm happy to share with that, sh share that with you guys today. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, before we jump into the non-teachable, um, there are lots of farmers out there. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, uh you know, in terms of the, the role, certainly a farmer role is important uh, when a company needs to 
to uh, make sure that their existing accounts are well taken care of. That's absolutely essential. Um, however, there are, there's the suitability to the hunter role and the suitability to the farmer role. You know, the suitability to the hunter role really requires uh, an individual uh, psychologically who's going to be able to go out, as I like to say, knock on a door, sometimes get that door slammed in their face, whether that's in person or over the phone, then knock on right. the next door with that much more certainty and passion and conviction. And psychologically, right. that's a very special person that we're talking about. Right. So the person that's able to do that hunting activity is a little bit more rare. So that can contribute to uh, the relative, the relatively large amount of people with certainly strong potential to do well as farmers versus those that have that natural potential to knock the cover off the ball, if you will, as hunters. Yeah. Yep. You know, go for the no, go for the no. Yes. Yes. You know, gets you to the yes. So let's talk about the non-teachable personality traits. I'm dying to hear what what they are. Of course. Uh, in terms of you know how we derive these, you know we got started, gosh, twenty years ago now, researching everything that had been published on the topic academically in terms of what is it that makes a great salesperson over the last eighty five, what ninety years now. At the same time, looking at our own work, doing behavioral interviews with sales candidates, then circling back with their managers thereafter to find out who really does become successful. And again, when we looked at all of that data, Nancy, we found that many of the characteristics that, again, most people would classically expect to be important in a successful salesperson were still very important. Again, the things you'd expect, things like persuasiveness, uh, relationship skills, even organizational skills, all of those were important. But above and beyond any of those by far, were these three non-teachable characteristics that continued to stand out and differentiate the highest performing hunters. The first one is what we call the need for achievement. And when we talk about the need for achievement in a salesperson, we're talking about the person who wants to do well simply for the sake of doing well. So the salesperson who's high in need for achievement, they just naturally want to set the bar high, if you will. They want to jump over that then they want to set it even higher again the next time. So they're constantly focused on producing excellence just for the sake of excellence. That's the first piece, need for achievement. The second piece is competitiveness. And the competitive salesperson we find really wants to do two things. Number one, they want to be the best in their team. They're always comparing their performance to their peers because they just need to know how they stack up, if you will. But number two, Mm -hmm. they want to win that prospect or that client over to their point of view. Because to them, uh, psychologically, that sale is kind of like a contest of wills. And then the third piece is optimism. And that's, of course, the salesperson's sense of certainty that they will succeed, as well as, of course, their resilience to remain persistent when they face the inevitable rejection that a salesperson just has to deal with. So again, it's those three characteristics all together, Nancy, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism that psychologically we find, uh, create the perfect storm, if you will. And collectively, we refer to those three characteristics as drive. Okay. So, but I want to go back to uh, competition. Of course. I know for myself, I'm very competitive internally. Mm -hmm. Like I always force myself to do more and more. And I mean, I, I, I stay aware of my competition for sure, mm-hmm. but more of my drive is internal. What do you have to say about people like me? Very good question. So when we look at that internal drive, the person who competes with with themselves, that really pertains to that need for achievement. 
uh, the person yeah. who wants to do well for its own sake, not necessarily, yeah. you know, even, even if there's no one else around, they simply hold yeah. that bar high for themselves, if you will. And they constantly want to approach it, constantly want to jump over it and then set it higher again the next time. That becomes you know, the person high in need for achievement. They're always competing with themselves, if you will. Right. When yeah. we talk about com- competitiveness, we kind of bring in other people. Okay. So how did you get involved in all of this? Ah, good question. You know, my uh, PhD is in clinical psychology. Um, as I was completing uh, my PhD, I created my own uh, uh, subspecialty, if you will, in delivering psychological consultation services to business management. Uh, as okay. such, I began attending meetings of the uh, Illinois Psychological Association, and that's where I met Dr. Neil Whitmer. Uh, he had a firm called Whitmer and Associates that specialized in executive assessment in the suburbs of Chicago. Executive assessment is a process companies use sometimes when They'll want to hire, say, a new president, a new VP, um, and determine whether the person is going to be an effective leader. So in that case, a psychologist will sit down with that person, do a you know two-hour interview with a candidate, sometimes also um, what's called an in-basket exercise, which is a job simulation, also sometimes adding intelligence testing, you know, very, very rigorous process. Uh, and right. not necessary to determine whether the person is going to be an effective leader. They wanted to design something as rigorous as that. For salespeople, because of course, sales is the lifeblood of any company. And if you aren't selling anything, where really nothing else matters. So they brought me on board to focus on that. And that's when I began that work back in 2002. I began trying to identify, okay, we know drive is important broadly. What does it really mean? Uh, to, to say that drive is important. What are the elements of drive? How does it really mean for a salesperson to be driven? So that's when I began doing all of that research, started sales drive in 2005. Um, our book, Never Hire a Bad Salesperson Again, the first edition was released in 2006. The second edition was released earlier this year. My co-author, Richard Abraham, is my business partner. Since then, yes, we've worked with, at this point, over 1,400 companies uh, around wow. the world. So it's, it's, very, um, it's very gratifying, as, especially as you can imagine, to work with a company where they think they come to us with a problem you mentioned at the beginning, saying, you know, there's just no way to interview salespeople effectively. We've just resigned ourselves to the idea that uh, it's going to be a churn and burn uh, endeavor. um, And we're we're failing again and again. Is there something else we can do another way, if you will? And um, I very much enjoy teaching them the system. Wow. How long does it take for executives to pick it up? Oh, very good question. So in terms of picking up the interview process, I would say it takes maybe two or three interviews with candidates before they get very comfortable, you know, with the questions. It's designed to be the process that we prescribe in the book is designed to be very simple. So we give them downloads uh, in terms of interview techniques, questions to ask, things of that nature. Now, in terms of our online assessment, the drive test that goes after those non-teachable characteristics, that's immediate. You know, a company can administer that and the the test, of course, determines the candidate's results itself. But then the ideal is, of course, combining the two, getting the results of an assessment, then sitting down with the candidate. Uh, as the interviewer and using the well-constructed questions that we provide in the book, sure. uh, keeping in mind the best predictor of future behaviors, previous behavior. Again, it, like anything else, like any other skill, uh, the more practice you have, the better you get. The better you get at listening to a candidate's response, the better you get at therefore thereafter uh, formulating your follow-up questions, you know, things of that nature. So I would say after maybe two or three interviews with a candidate, you start getting proficient. Thereafter, you start getting really good because you start to see patterns, if you will, and your uh, your your responses to those those candidates' questions get faster and faster and more insightful and more efficient. Interesting. Can you share a couple of questions with us? Of course. So relative to the three elements of drive, right. uh, when starting out talking about need for achievement, for example, one of my favorite questions is, again, keeping in mind the best predictor of future behaviors, previous behavior, what kinds of sacrifices have you had to make to be successful? 
of course, what does that person consider to be a sacrifice? Was it maybe they had to work a couple weekends last year or was it something right. more substantial? Now compare that to the kinds of sacrifices you've seen your top performers have to make over time. Or tell me about the greatest goal you've ever accomplished professionally. Really have the person describe that and flesh that out for you. Then you can reflect back to them, you know, you've got to be proud of that. How do you intend to top it? Again, the person high in need for achievement has a plan to top it and they're excited about the opportunity to tell you about it. For competitiveness, tell me about the last time you were competitive. What did that look like for you? Again, the person may gravitate to an answer that describes maybe uh, something outside the world of Brooke. Like maybe they were at the gym, they're running around the track and someone started to lap them. So they just had to run a little bit faster. Uh, In that case, I always recommend bringing, of course, back to the world of work and saying, okay, what about at work? What did that really look like? When was the last time you were competitive at work? And again, what we're looking for is the person for whom, you know, even if there's not a formal competition in place, they just want to create one. So they want to find out how they're doing relative to their their, their peers and create a competition in that work environment, if you will. Not necessarily like a bull in the china shop, but just for their own uh, edification, if you will, just to have a little bit of fun. Uh, The third, optimism. One of my favorite questions for optimism is, tell me about a time when you remained persistent, even though everyone else around you gave up. Now tell me about another time, you know, just getting those consistent examples. So those are a few for the uh, the three elements of drive. Oh my god, I love it! I love it. A lot of people go on gut, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just feels good, mm-hmm. smells good, uh, and I know that you have a strong opinion on that. So share it with us. Yeah, uh, you know when it comes to gut instinct, um, it, it's 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 a classic problem in interviewing. But moving on to the sales side, it gets a little bit worse because, again, when you ask the average person, what is it that makes somebody effective in sales? They'll often say, again, as I mentioned, the person who has the gift of gab or who is likable, if you will. And so they'll sit down with the sales candidate and that's what they want to determine. Do I like this person? And so that gut instinct uh, challenge becomes even stronger. You know, the, the uh, manager or the, intervie- the interviewer just determines via their gut instinct whether the person is going to be a good salesperson. And that can be a right. disaster because, again, that candidate, the best performance you ever see out of the person might be during the interview itself. Now, gut instinct can be okay, certainly uh, for determining something like, say, cultural fit. Do you like the person? You know, the, the cultural right. fit is very, very important to determine whether the person is going to do what at a company, but it's not the BLN end all. It's one piece of what we might think of as the mosaic of things that make someone, that ultimately lead to someone's success. The most important thing to rely in the interview to determine someone's success is their previous behavior, their previous behavior at work when it comes to sales, or if they don't have sales experience, their previous behavior when it comes to the characteristics to to look for uh, in that particular role. So I always recommend to overcome the gut instinct challenge. Make sure that when you go into the interview, have your questions written out ahead of time. You know, simple word document with your questions listed out. Always make sure you're sticking to that document and uh, not allowing the, uh, the interviewee, if you will, to filibuster you. Okay, so person takes your drive test, comes highly recommended, great fit for the organization, and yet they still fail in the role. Why is that? Mm, Very good question. So the situation in which someone can do well on the drive test assessment, knock it out of the park, and then not perform well thereafter, again, as I mentioned, um, the mosaic or the ecosystem, if you will, of things that lead someone to be successful in sales. One of the, one of the phenomena that can occur, as you can imagine, is you might have a candidate scores very well, very, very well on the drive test. They have those non-teachable characteristics, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism. The manager sees that result and says, yes, here we have a high drive person. Let's throw them to the wolves. And that's what they did. They do. The person may not, in that example, have any sales experience, and the, the, can, the candidate looks great in terms of the drive test results. So they throw them out there. Let's see what happens. Right. Well, again, that high drive right. person, they want to do well, 
but they may not know what to do. Now, the manager just thought that drive was enough, so they threw them out there and expected them to perform. But the challenge, of course, is the person's going to run up against things in their environment, again, in that inexperienced situation, but they don't know what to do. And they, they get stuck right. in that situation. And again, that's going to almost hurt psychologically the person who's high in drive, particularly, as you can imagine, the person who's high in need for achievement, for whom heretofore everything they've done has likely been right. successful. And now they're thrown into a situation where they don't know the right things to do. Whereas all you had to do was sit down with that person and conduct, for example, what we call in the book, a mission meeting, really understanding the person's developmental needs in their, their first week, onboarding them successfully, then giving them the training and development they need to, 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 right. uh, to succeed in that particular role. Um, that really is the difference that makes the difference, if you will. So certainly the assessment is, is important. It's never the be-all end-all. I like to look at it as a bit like having the consumer report, if you will, before you make a major buying decision. Just sort of says, hey, buyer beware. But even if the person right. does well on the assessment, now you need to understand that you can't just throw them to the wolves. That's a very important point. I agree. I, I, I really agree. And, you know, we're, we're kind of running out of time. I could go on and on forever. <laughs> what, what is the one takeaway you want to leave the audience with? Thank you. You know, if there's one thing that I would like your audience to remember, it's that combining an online assessment of drive with the interview techniques that we talked about today will absolutely stack your team with championship quality, high performance sales athletes. Wow. You know, what What do you say to the naysayers that, oh, I'm not going to spend that kind of money? Well, I would um, ask them respectfully to think about what it costs them when someone underperforms. When a candidate under underperforms, you know, the, the cost can be six, seven figures depending upon the position and then all the headaches thereafter. Whereas when you're spending the time to not only purchase an assessment, but then thereafter your time to interview the right. person effectively, those two things together, as you can imagine, that preparation is so important. When you uh, when you think about the, the onboarding process, the, the preparation process, when all of that is done correctly, you save yourself so much pain and heartache thereafter. Believe me, I know that. I mean, I think everyone listening to this knows what you're saying. So how can my people find you? Thank you. They can go to salesdrive.info, salesdrive.info. Their uh, sales managers can uh, find a link to a complimentary assessment that they can use with one of their people. And again, it's our pleasure to be of service in any way that we can. That's awesome. Well, I, I just want to thank you for sharing your expertise and your offer of a free assessment. Everybody jump on it. And please be sure to reach out to Chris, um, Dr. Croner. I'd like to say. He really is an expert and can help us. You know what you do, Chris? You give us peace of mind, right? Thank From you. a hiring point of view. Yes, it's a it's, it's a bit like insurance. And that that's really our goal is to make sure that, again, we're, um, we're, we're able to sleep a little bit better at the end of the day when, yeah. when, we, when you engage in that uncertain process, take that leap of bringing someone on board. And again, it's our pleasure to be of service and greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, we're going to do it again. And everyone, I just want to wish you all an amazing sales day. I know you picked up a couple of good nuggets. Go online, get that assessment. We'll see you next time. The Conversational Selling Podcast is sponsored by One of a Kind Sales. If you are frustrated that you don't have enough leads or your sales team complains that they just don't have enough time to prospect, we can help. To work with Nancy and her team to help you manage your sales team, install her proven outbound sales process, and create more bottom line results, email her now at nancy at oneofakindsales.com. 
To learn more about Nancy and her outbound sales secrets, grab your free copy of her book, The Inside Sales Solution, at oneofakindsales.com forward slash book.